I don't know if um, any of you have ever doubted your salvation. I have. I've gone through periods, uh, maybe, maybe one big period in my life where I really did that, where I doubted my salvation. I was younger, younger person, um, a younger Christian. It can be a terrible thing. It's, it's sort of like being in depression. It's, it's just your mind is, uh, can be consumed with looking at yourself and, and thinking about your salvation and going, am I really saved? And that's, that's not a bad thing, as we'll see in a minute. We're told to examine ourselves to see if we're of Christ, if we're in Christ. So that's not a bad thing. But back uh, probably 15 years ago, yes, sir, am I supposed to be telling kids to... Leave here, I have forgotten again. Yeah, we do have children's ministry right back here. You'll see the desk, and uh, the kids can be dismissed at this time. And I told myself when I was sitting there in that chair, oh, yeah, don't forget to tell the kids. And then I did. So listen, uh, about 15 years ago, I was listening to the radio. I think it was around Christmas, uh, sorry, around Thanksgiving. And I heard a, a well-known radio preacher say, don't ever doubt your salvation. That's Satan talking to you. And there's, there's a possibility that there's, that there's truth in that. But we're told to examine ourselves uh, in Scripture to see if we're in Christ, as I said. So what I wanted to talk to you today about, not only because it's really a, a doctrinal kind of thing that's important, but because of my own experience as a young believer and my, the, the doubts that were in my mind at times or at one significant point about my own salvation. So the sermon today has really got two main points. Hopefully you've got notes there at the end of the rows. Um, two main points. And one is the doctrinal way that you can know that you are in Christ, that you are a believer. Basically, that's what the Bible says. All the stuff that the Bible says about your salvation, you can rest in that, knowing that Christ is your Savior. But it's also important that you experience your salvation. You've got to be aware and, and see the evidence in your own life. Like I was having a conversation with George this morning, and we talked about root and fruit. The root is in the doctrine. The root is in what God has done for us. But there's got to be fruit in our lives for us to, to see the certainty of our salvation. And that's really the only point I'm making today. That's, that's it. But we're going to go through a few verses to get there. Uh, also in that conversation with George, he told me that there was a theologian in, during the Reformation that actually said uh, it was a Roman Catholic theologian and he actually said the doctrine of the assurance of salvation is a damnable heresy i believe i've got that right it is not it is essential that we know that we're saved so let me just tell you i listened a few years ago to a sermon by adrian rogers and in that sermon which is called how you can be sure you're eternally secure he basically talks about that first point the doctrinal or the biblical reasons we can know that we're saved as i started working on the second part of the sermon which is was going to be the whole sermon i thought why don't i just introduce what i'm going to say with what adrian rogers said cuz i can't do that part any better than he did so i'm actually using that sermon for these first eight points now i added Four more after that. And I'm going to tweak a couple of things that he said. 
So let's just start here with this very first point. How can you be sure you're eternally secure? What does the Bible say? What are those things you can passively rest in that the Bible says? Number one, and these are all, these are all Adrian Rogers. They start with the letter P. The first one is promise. Romans 8, and I'll give you the verses as we go along here. Most of them just have one text that you can jot down there if you want to in your notes. Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he made the point right there. If we went no further, that's enough right there. That one text is enough to say you are eternally secure. Once you are saved, you will always be saved. Number two, perseverance. Philippians 1.6 For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Our salvation is completely the work of God from beginning to end. It is His work. He is going to complete it. In just a few minutes, I'm going to tell you a, a little parable that Jesus told and, and add that to another verse and talk about that, but I, I could have done it right here. But just listen to these two quotes. This is Paul Washer. If you're not familiar with him, he's a pretty good guy to listen to. He said, if a person professes faith in Christ and yet falls away or makes no progress in godliness, it does not mean that he has lost his salvation. It reveals that he was never truly converted. That's a pretty straightforward way of saying if a Christian doesn't progress, a Christian was never a Christian. There's a reason why God saved you. And if that's not being manifested in our lives, then, then, then it means we're not really saved. And listen to Adrian Rogers. He actually says this. Adrian Rogers, if you don't know, was the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church here in Memphis before Steve Gaines. And uh, Adrian Rogers was nothing if not a wordsmith. He absolutely could weave words together like no one else. I mean, he was fantastic at doing that. Listen to what he says. He says the same thing in a little more colorful way. He said, the faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. I might tweak that just a hair. I might say the faith that fails before the finish was false from the first. I might make that a little kind of in between those two, two quotes. A little more straightforward. That's the truth. A faith that fails before the finish was false from the start. John says they went out from us because they were not among us they people are attracted to church for whatever reason but that's in it within their mind and within their heart but that doesn't mean that just because someone makes a profession of faith that there's really a possession of faith there so number three number c there predestination romans 8 38 through 30 if you want to look at that and i'll read that to you in just a second now if you're an older person in here you may remember doris day she died uh, just a few months ago. Uh, Doris Day was an actress, singer, dancer. Uh, God gave her a life into her, well into her 90s, I believe, but she just passed away recently. Uh, she was in a movie 
back in 1956, uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie, and she sang a song that I to this day love, and it's Que Sera Sera, Whatever Will Be Will Be. Now, I've come to refer to that as, as or some theology as Doris Day theology. Whatever will be, will be. You know, who knows? Well, there's a sense in which we rest in the future, right? We don't control the future. God does. We rest in that. But I want you to understand something about your salvation. A lot of us, when we think about our salvation, we think about two points on the timeline. We think about the day that Jesus died. We think about the day that we give our life to Christ, right? That's what I call punctiliar. Two points that we think about. But truly, biblically, your salvation is a lot of links. It's not just two links in a chain. It's a lot of links in a chain. And it goes from eternity past to eternity future. Listen to this. This is Romans eight twenty-eight through 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I want you to listen to verse 29 really carefully because I'm going to point this something out here. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That right there, that is what the Christian life is about, becoming conformed to the son of God. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. That's what he has done. He has made us his brothers. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, there's a tendency on the part of some folks to talk about predestination or election and to say, use a, a, an um, illustration of a tunnel of time, that God looks through a tunnel of time, he sees who's going to be saved, and he calls that person elect. Well, first of all, elect is a verb. It means God does something, not God just passively seeing something. But I want you to look at verse 29. What is foreknowledge? What is the foreknowledge of God in relation to our salvation? For those whom he foreknew. God doesn't look through a tunnel of time and see an event in my life. God, before I ever existed, had a relationship with me. That's what foreknowledge. He doesn't just know something about me. He knows me in a saving way before I ever existed. That's what foreknowledge is. Isaiah 46.10, is there, is there this tunnel of time that God has to look down? No, God is completely above and beyond time and space. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things which have not been done. God saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That is God controlling time and the events of heaven and earth. He is in absolute control. Now, that's where I tweak Dr. Rogers a little bit. Dr. Rogers was not quite as thrilled with the doctrine of predestination as maybe I am. And, and he would be the one who said God looks through the tunnel of time and sees who's going to be saved and then labels that person elect rather than God actively electing that person's salvation. So that's where he and I would differ. Still, great sermon, great point. Number four, perfection, Hebrews ten fourteen. For by one offering, he, Christ, has perfected for all time those who are sanctified, those who were set apart for salvation. By one offering in Christ, he perfected you for all time. 
No matter what happens in your life, if you've given your life to Christ, you are forever, in the eyes of God, perfect in the eyes of God. Are we actually perfect here and now? No. Do we sin? Yes. But in the eyes of God, we stand perfect. Our account is clean. Our debt is forgiven if we're in Christ. Forever, this verse says. Number five, or letter E there. Position. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who, notice this, aorist tense in Greek, reconciled, past tense in English, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are reconciled. To Christ forever. Uh, Dr. Rogers in his sermon gave uh, an illustration about this idea of position. Because Peter likens being in Christ to Noah and those who were in the ark. And the, the similarity of salvation for those eight people who were in the ark. And he said, you know, God didn't drive pegs on the outside of the ark. And say, hang on to the outside of the ark. If you go back and look at Genesis 7-1, what God actually said to Noah was, Noah, come into the ark. God was in the ark. God was the Savior in there with Noah and his family. Come into the ark. And then God closed the door. That's what it's like to be in Christ. We are saved. We are reconciled to God. Because Christ took the punishment. Christ took the wrath of God. And we never will because of that. So F, or number six there, possession. John five twenty four says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. It's a done deal. Again, yet another verse. It is done forever. If you hear the word of God, and let me say this, the only way that someone can be saved is to hear the gospel. That is the only way someone can be saved. If someone hears the word of God, the gospel, and believes in God who sent Christ, that person has eternal life. So you are That is your possession. Your possession, the gift of God for you if you're a believer, is eternal life. And I want to quote Jim Elliott here. Uh, if, If you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard this quote multiple times. It is a very well-known quote among believers. And it is this. Jim Elliott, by the way, was a missionary and with a few others was in Ecuador uh, taking the gospel to a village there as my understanding is, as soon as they got out of their boat, or as they were getting out of their boat uh, at this near this village, they were attacked and killed. So, literally, the mission missionary journey for them lasted moments uh, before they were executed. They were martyred. Jim Elliot said this: He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You cannot lose eternal life. If you've given your life to Christ, it is yours forever. So the next point, 
prayer. I don't know if you've read John 17 lately, but it's, it's a good thing to do every once in a while. Just go and read, maybe do that this afternoon. The night before our Lord was crucified on the cross, he prayed. He prayed a prayer. And it's an illuminating prayer, for one. But one of the most amazing verses in that prayer is verse 9, John 17, 9. Where our Lord says this. He's praying and he says, I ask on their behalf, and listen to this, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And I believe it's verse 20. Uh, he prays something uh, related there. Christ, before going to the cross, he prayed for you. He prayed for you. He was a priest, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But he was acting as a priest when he made that a sacrifice on that cross. And this priest would pray, or the priest would lay his hands on and, and make that sacrifice for those for whom he prayed. And he prayed for you before going to the cross as your priest. The next, number eight, and this is Adrian Rogers' last one. Power. And I would, I, I might have called this protection, so that's why I put the little slash there with protection, but either one's good, I think. 1 Peter 1, 1 through 5, and I'll, I'll read all of these five verses to you because it kind of it, it reaffirms some of the things I've already said. But it focuses on the power and the protection towards the end of this passage. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. There it is again. Chosen according to the foreknowledge. Why did God choose you for salvation? Because he knew you beforehand. Before the world existed, he knew you. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit, why? Why did he do this? To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure, Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. This is your inheritance. Forever. Reserved in heaven for you. It's there waiting for you when you get there. Your complete salvation. Because, and I may say this again, you were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Your salvation is a progression. And it gets better and better as you go. Uh Someone this week talked about uh, a lady who was attacked. She's a Christian lady in a Muslim country, I believe, and she was attacked and horribly abused. And she was killed. Then they stoned her after multiple men abused her. And someone quote, responded to that statement someone put on social media and said, you know what, right now she doesn't care how she died. And I thought, man. That's true. I mean, we think about our life and our health and all those things. And one second after you die, you are not going to care. You are not going to care. It's a momentary issue. 
that we have to face. It's a veil that we walk through to glory on the other side. That's what's waiting for you. Now, these are the ones that are added by me, these next four. Priest. Hebrews 6.20. Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever. You have someone forever. How do you know you're saved? Because there's a high priest interceding for you forever. As long as he's interceding for you, you stay saved. It's on him. He's doing this for you. You know, it made me think of, of the song before the throne of God above. I love that. I love that hymn. Listen to these words. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while with God he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. That's, that's the high priest you have. You have someone interceding for you, for you forever. All right, number 10. I got to go through these pretty quick. Number 10, and the word is promised. Listen to Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, you heard the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, and having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The reason the Holy Spirit was given to you as a believer, one of the reasons, there are probably a dozen or so that the Bible gives us, but one is to seal you. You are sealed. In the ancient world, a king would send something, he would put wax on there, and he would impress his seal in it. And that seal, whenever it got to whomever that was addressed, had better be intact. That's what the Holy Spirit is for you. The Holy Spirit seals you and brings you into the glory of of God the Father in heaven. Nothing can break that seal. That is God's seal on you, the Holy Spirit. And he's not leaving. If he's there, he will not leave. Now, here's where I wanted to talk about the parable. This is K, or whatever, number 11. The parable of the builder. And I'm going to put two different verses together. And this really could be a whole sermon right here. But I'm going to cover it really quickly. Two verses. You may remember Jesus was talking to Peter. And when he was talking to Peter, he said, Peter, who, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, and Christ, you're the Son of God. And Christ said, yes, the Father has revealed this to you. Jesus went on to say, I also say to you that you are Peter, in Greek, Petros, uh, a little stone. And upon this rock, Petra, big stone, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So Christ is saying, I'm going to build my church. Now, we can debate about what exactly it is that it, Christ is building his church upon. Is it the confession of Christ? Is it the act of confessing? Is it Christ himself? The cornerstone, as Peter says later. But the point is, Christ says he's going to build his church. He is going to do it. And it is going to be done. You will be saved. Now, how can you build a church if if the stones are able to go away as fast as you place them there? If, there, if you're able to lose your salvation, how is that possible to build something? The stones can't, the bricks can't walk away. They have to stay there. So keep that in mind. Christ says, I will build my church. Now listen to this. Luke 14, 28. 
For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not sit down, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish the tower that he's building, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him. So Christ says, I am building my church. And then at another point, he's telling a story, he's a parable, or an illustration. And he says, if you're going to build a building, you're going to sit down and calculate the cost of building that building, right? You're going to do that. You'd be a fool not to do that. You start to build, and then there's just a foundation there, and no building ever gets built. So would Christ, who says, I'm building my church... Would he be this person that he's criticizing here? Would he be the one who never calculated the cost and what it was going to take to put you in the church of God and to bring that church of God into the Father's presence? He would not do that. He is mocking that very thing right there. He is building his church, and if you're in that church, if you're one of those stones in that church, you will be there forever. So number 12 purpose. Jude 24, and Jude only has one uh, chapter, so you just get the verse there. Jude 24. This is really a benediction, and, and it's appropriate that it comes last at this point, because this is just a praise, a benediction to God, right? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence, in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. That's God's purpose. God's purpose in your salvation is to bring you into the presence of God blameless, sinless, perfect. You will be glorified one day. You'll be like Christ in that sense. You will be sinless, apart from the sin in your own life and the sin of this world. That is the purpose that God has in salvation, and that is an eternal purpose. His purpose is long-term. So there's, it makes no sense that someone would be able to walk away from the faith. If they do that, they were never part of the church to begin with. Now, I don't know that this theology is going around today, but there is a theology called quietism. Uh, the Roman Catholics actually denounced it as heresy when it started a few hundred years ago. Quietism. Uh, I, I'm thinking the, the Quakers also have a form of quietism as well. Uh, you may have heard it uh, in, in another form in the term let go and let God. Um, have you ever heard that? Has anybody ever heard that term, let go and let God? Well, it's the idea that you don't really try to live the Christian life. Once you come to faith in Christ, you just relax. Just kick back. There's nothing to live in the Christian life. Don't even try. Just, just let God do it. Well, there's obviously a sense in which we, we rest and we trust in God, right? We do those things. But our life has got to be reflecting. We've got to bear fruit, and we need to see that fruit in our life. So here's part two of this sermon. Quietism is a, is a bad thing. That's what I'm saying. It's a bad thing. Not only do we, do we just passively rest in what the Bible says about our salvation, we want to actively participate once we are saved, once we have a new nature, once we have a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone that's in rebellion against God, but a heart and a heart that wants to pursue God, not a heart that Adam and Eve gave us to run away from God. 
we have a new heart, we can participate in our sanctification. We cooperate, maybe is a better way to say it, with our sanctification. We need to experience our salvation. We need to see ourselves becoming like Christ. In addition to trusting what the Bible says about our salvation, which is what we just talked about. So the experience of sanctification. Listen to the, Oh, let me tell you this first. The Bible three times tells us to test ourselves to see if we're in the faith or not. So what, what I heard the preacher say back in, at the very beginning of the sermon, back Thanksgiving, I can't agree with. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28, I, I think that one's about the Lord's Supper. Before you take the Lord's Supper unworthily, you're not really a believer, don't take the Lord's Supper. Because you're identifying, you're saying, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Don't do that if you're not a believer. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Listen to this one. I'll read this. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Now, how could that be any clearer? I don't know. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So you've got to examine yourself to see if you're saved. How do you do that? Well, you do that by taking the the fruit, the fruit, all of the things that the Bible encourages Christians to be and, and say, do I see that in my life? Do I see that growing in my life? Is any of us perfect? No. Are any of us going to be glorified in this life? No. But we ought to be able to go to look back at our life as Christians, and maybe it's easier as the more years there are between when you become a believer and now, to look back and go, yeah, you know, I used to, I used to lose my temper easier at that point or... You know, gossip, maybe I, I gossiped more. And when I do that now, I, I'm convicted in my heart. You know, you just got to see those practical things in your life to go to, to be able to point to something and say, I see the Holy Spirit working. I see it. That gives us so much confidence in our salvation. So, why is it important that we examine ourselves? Well, so we have that confidence. But the reason is because we're not just saved as believers. We're not just saved from things we've done. We're, we're not saved from what we have done only. We are saved from what we are. We tend to think about individual sins. We're saved because I sinned this sin, that sin, this sin, that sin, and God saved me from these individual sins. No, God's yes, God saved you from those individual sins, but God is saving the person that you are. You are you were a rebel against God. And the things that you did were the fruit of that life. And so there should be fruit of the new life that you see. God is not just saving us from what we have done. God is saving us from what we are. So number one here, under the, the first P, under this main second point. Perpetually believe. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now I'm going to hit this a little bit because this is so oftentimes wrongly uh, presented to us as the word whosoever in King James, that, that the word whosoever means whoever wants to be saved can be saved. In other words, it's an argument for free will is typically what we're told. That is not what this verse says. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that in Greek, pas ha pistuon, all the believing ones, in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What the Holy Spirit and John are saying in John 3.16 is this. If your faith is the kind of faith that doesn't fizzle, if it's the kind of faith that goes on and on and on, guess what? The life, the zoe that you have is the life that goes on and on and on. That's what John is saying. That's why it's important that we examine ourselves and say, do I, do I have faith in Christ? When we sin, we say, why did I do that? Is this, an, is this evidence that I'm not really a believer? That's the kind of thing that helps us towards maturity in Christ. Ongoing faith, ongoing belief, perpetual belief is something that we ought to see in our lives as we examine ourselves. Number two, or B, Proverbs. I don't, Proverbs. I don't, I don't have a verse here. I only have a chapter and verse here, but it's Proverbs. Proverbs says, live wisely, live righteously. The, pretty much the whole thing. So, Proverbs. That's what it says. That's, that Proverbs is given to us for our instruction in how we live, right? So we don't just let go and let God. We have Proverbs to tell us, to guide us in how we live. C, or three, pugilism, fighting. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. Paul says to the Corinthians, Therefore, I run, listen to these verbs, I run in such a way as not without aim. I run. In other words, I'm living my life with purpose. There's a goal in mind. I box. So I run and I box. Boxing is not a passive thing, I can tell you. Box in such a way as not beating the air. I'm not boxing nothing, I'm boxing something. And in all likelihood, it's the, the enemies uh, of his ministry, the, uh, figuratively speaking, spiritually, he's praying you know, that God will help this ministry of his to the Gentiles in spite of the obstacles that Satan puts in his way. And Paul also says in verse 27, 1 Corinthians 9, I discipline my body and make it my slave. These are all very active things. These are all very intense verbs for what the Christian life is supposed to be. It takes effort. Uh, D, or 4, put on. And you hear a lot of this from our pastor. Put on. Putting on is something that you do. It's a way that you cooperate with your salvation. Paul says, Ephesians 6.14, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. So there's your doctrine. You've got to gird your loins with good doctrine, sound doctrine. It's always important. Don't ever think you got too much of that. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Is he saying that you put on your own righteousness? Initially, No. No, there's nothing you can do as a person who's dead in trespasses and sin, who's an enemy of God, to contribute to your justification. Nothing you can do. But sanctification, yes, there is a way for you to put on righteousness, for you to think about uh, your life and how you will cooperate with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. So put on. Number five, pursue. First Timothy 6, 11 and 12. But flee from these things, you man of God. Flee. There's your verb. Flee. This is what you do. 
Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. So you know you've got eternal life, right? We already established that. It's yours forever. Grasp it. Take hold of it. Let it change how you live your life here now. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Do that, as Tammy said. Tammy had an opportunity this week to to witness for Christ and to invite people to the Lord's house. That's a great response. Uh, even in even in light of pain and suffering, um, it has to make an impact on someone. So we reach, we pursue righteousness, we pursue God. We follow after God. We follow after Christ as best we can. F, press on Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Paul said, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that. Again, listen to that verb, lay hold of. Lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So Christ Jesus laid hold of me in salvation. So what is my response? To lay hold of that life that he wants me to have. A life of righteousness. Not, as some would tell us, a life of wealth and health and all of that. All of those earthly things. It's a long-term view that we're to have. We, in our justification, we are declared righteous. In our sanctification, we're made righteous. In our glorification, we are righteous. And we, we escape all the, the, uh, the unrighteousness of this world. That is the salvation that we have been given. It's an eternal view. Lay hold of that. Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward, listen to that verb again, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We don't let go and let God. The Christian life uh, is effort. And so, what do we do? G. Put to death. This is what the Puritans call the mortification of sin. Uh, Paul says in Romans 8.13, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the character, that is the character quality of Christians. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Mortification of sin. Again, is what the, um, the Puritans call that. H, perspire. Philippians 2, 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do we work in our salvation? Do we work for our salvation? No, not our justification. You can do nothing to contribute to God declaring you sinless and debt-free. You cannot do anything. You are incapable. God must do everything. You are dead in tra- you were dead in trespasses and sin. Only God can raise the dead. But once you have new life, you can say, I want to pursue Christ. 
And you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to pursue Christ, to pursue God in Christ-likeness. And that's what God wants. That is the call of the Christian life. So that one was perspire. Work out your salvation. We don't work it in, but it does work out of us. You know, really, this sermon is essentially the synopsis of the, of the book of James. You got faith, but faith without works is what? Dead. That's right. Faith without works is... What kind of faith is it that you have? If it's the kind of faith that produces fruit, works, then it's real faith. And that's why we need to look at our lives and see if we see that. So the last one, purification. 1 John 3, 3. This is a very convicting verse. But before, and this is a convicting quote here. I'm going to read you a quote by Richard Sibbs. That's S-I-B-B-E-S. He was a, uh, a Puritan. So he's, uh, you know, around the year 1600 or so. Listen to this. A sincere Christian hates his sin in himself most. That's a Christian life. That is a painful quote <laughs> to me. Now listen to 1 John 3, 3. Everyone who has this hope, and it's, it's the hope of Christ and his presence. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him, everyone who has his hope fixed on Christ, purifies himself just as Christ is pure. Why do we want to be pure? To be accepted by God? No, we're already accepted by God eternally as perfect, right? We're already accepted as perfect, but we aren't perfect. But Christ is. We want to be like Christ, so we want to be perfect, like he is perfect. That's our goal. That's what we're looking for. Now, I'm going to use a couple of... I'm going to use a theological term here that's kind of... needs some explanation. The Bible teaches monergistic justification, not sanctification. What that means is, when it comes to our justification, who does that? God is one, only one. God is the only one who can justify us. But once we are, sanct- once we are saved, our sanctification is something that we participate in. It's something that we... Uh, don't necessarily contribute to. And if we do contribute, it's only because God has given it to us first. God gave it to us, gave, gave us a heart, a new nature, to be able to be obedient to him. Okay? So the Bible does not teach um, syncretism in your salvation at the beginning, that somehow it, you were able to cooperate with God and, and that's how you got saved. No, it was God who did it and God alone gets the glory. So someone might say, Jay, this is kind of a problem. It sounds like you're saying salvation starts as the work of God, but now you believe that we continue salvation. So God, like, you know, cranked up the car, but now we're putting it in gear and steering the car. No, I'm not saying that. Anything that we have, we got it from God first. Someone might use Galatians 3.3 that says this. Are you so foolish, this is Paul, having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And, and uh, our music team, come on up. We're uh, getting here at the last point. So someone might say that. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Is that what you're saying? Are you saying 
that you drive your own sanctification. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that now you're not running from God. Now you're running towards God. That's what I'm saying. And only because of the mercy that God has shown us. So I'm hoping that this has has been an encouragement. I'm hoping that you understand that, yes, we rest on the doctrine of what the Bible tells us about our salvation. Yes, we trust in all those verses, the eight that Adrian Rogers gave you, and the four. Yes, we trust in what the Bible says. But we get to cooperate with that. We get to see that. We should examine ourselves, and we should see the fruit of a Christian life at, at, at some level. You're not going to see perfection. Don't be discouraged. You're just not going to see perfection in your Christian life. You will always sin as long as you walk on this earth. And so will I. So don't be discouraged. But again, be encouraged when you see the fruit in your life of, of a saved of saved life. Because that's fruit. There's going to be fruit there. Uh, Galatians 2.20 simply says, It is Christ who is living through us now. So we don't just let go and let God. Christ is living through us, but now we are made alive. And we are cooperating with him to be the blessing that he wants us to be to him, to God the Father, when he brings us there, when he brings us into heaven and on this earth as we walk the earth to share Christ with others. So, anyway, that is it. I hope that this is an encouragement to you. I hope that you see we rest on the Scripture and then we can see in our own lives what God's doing. Look for that. It'll encourage you. Well, let me pray and then these guys will take over. Father, we... We come before you, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word alone gives us so much hope for our salvation. For the glory that we will enjoy one day when we are free from these bodies of sin. Lord, we know our our bodies are not redeemed. They are still in a corrupted state, but our souls are saved. Lord, we look forward to the, as we sang earlier, we look forward to that resurrection. When our bodies are glorified, our bodies are sinless. And our souls are free to worship you as never before. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our city. We thank you for this church. Lord, we pray for ever-increasing proclamation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified going out from this place. Bless us this week. Lord, we pray for those who aren't here, for those who are traveling. Bring our body back together, our family back from where they have gone uh, over the summer break. Father, help us to bring the right and the the just praise to Jesus Christ who alone deserves it. For his glory we pray. Amen.